Real estate investing, cryptocurrency, personal development, business, there's probably one topic out of all of those that you're at least a little bit more interested about. And that's why I am incredibly excited to show you guys and give to you guys today an interview with one of my good friends, Tyler Bassetti, on how he went from underwriting mortgages, making good money, $50,000, $70,000 a month, and how he gave all of that up because of some sick fantasy with running 100-mile marathon and diving deeper into his personal development to now creating a multiple eight-figure real estate portfolio and the journey that he got from there to there. And on top of all of that, some interesting real estate investing advice that he gave, not as a professional, but as somebody that has had a portfolio this big for business owners or people looking to start investing. Welcome to the Ravi Abuvala Show, where we show you how you can build a business that produces cash without you so you can live the life you deserve. So Tyler, what is the best decision that you've made that has eliminated all other decisions? Wow, that is a great question. I think for me is, uh, and this probably goes to anyone that has actually lived life to fulfillment and happiness and seen some type of success is betting on myself, uh, consistently putting myself in a position of being uncomfortable and, uh, and betting on myself and really just in multiple different areas of life of getting out of the mortgage industry to, you know, join 0% to, you know, going all in. So how is betting on yourself eliminating other decisions? Are you saying that, you know, by making a decision, it eliminated other decisions? Or I'm trying to get your your kind of mindset, because obviously, you've done some really incredible things over the past few years. And you're a good friend of mine as well. So I'm excited, very, very excited for this episode. But for the people that are watching this or listening to this as well, how is betting on yourself allowing you to actually simplify your life? Yeah, I think it's always uh, coming down to what I call like the the method of what I try to follow, which is always trying to think in this order of, okay, how can I own, obtain, optimize, and opposite? So what does all of that mean? Uh, you know, number one, own, own your story, own your past, own the darkness, own the light. Uh, and then when it comes to obtain, obtaining uh, a skill set, obtaining a skill set that's actually valuable that you can monetize, that you can enjoy. And with obtaining, you're going to also obtain a lot of responsibility uh, when you're, you know, actually making impact. And this is, you know, an area that you know more than anyone else is optimization, right? How do you optimize and leverage other people's time, other people's money, and optimize uh, returns when it comes to, you know, doing what we do in business? And last but not least is is opposite. Uh, 99.9% .9 of the time, if the masses or everyday people, if you will, are making these decisions, whether it's personal, professional or financial decisions, there's probably a good chance you should be doing the opposite. Right. Well, so say those, that was a little golden nugget for those. What are the, what are the, what are the five O's? What are they again? Say the, uh, the... I forgot them all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's own, obtain, optimize and opposite. Own, obtain, optimize, opposite. There's the four O's for you guys right off the bat here. So Tyler, I'm super grateful you're on the show. Thank you for your time, man. I do appreciate it. You're the man. Ooh, people that are watching or listening right now, you've had multiple hats, right? You've gone from working in a mortgage industry. Um, you and I have even done some business together back in both of our past lives. And then right now you are running a real estate fund. I've also invested in it as well. Not financial advice at all, but... Um, you know, now you're helping run an incredible company, 0% as well. 
for people that don't know who you are, as as 30,000 foot view as you can get it, can you walk us a little bit through how you go? Because I know there's a lot of people that at least I know from a spe- especially my previous life that used to be in the real estate industry as a profession. And I think now you're in the real estate industry as an owner, which I think is really interesting as an investor. So how did you make that transition from working for somebody else, I guess, underwriting mortgages or doing so in the mortgage industry to now having a piece of the action and making massive waves in the real estate industry yourself? Yeah. I mean, like a lot of the viewers watching this and you and I both know, I think the first step of doing things that you want to actually do. Uh, the previous episode, I just watched you film. People try to, number one, get clarity on what they want to do or clarity on what they don't want to do. And so for me, I was really, really lucky where I took, uh, again, betting on myself, took an advantage of an opportunity of dropping out of a college and going into the mortgage industry where I had phenomenal mentorship, right? So getting mentorship or uh, doing what I call avoiding blood money, which is where you're trying to just be super greedy and, uh, you know, be always like money focused first versus let's again, obtain, right. Let's obtain information, a skill set. And, uh, what I quickly realized though, after five years of originating loans, seeing over 4,000 real estate transactions, seeing a phenomenal mentor was a lot, a lot of different things. But what I did see was this new economy coming. What I did see was a lack of scalability. What I did see was these other intangible things of people sitting in an office with the same fucking problems each and every single day. And uh, we actually read this as a leadership team at 0% is uh, one of John Maxwell's book about problems being good. Leaders actually find problems and seek problems, but they solve them. Whereas unsuccessful people and non-leaders find problems, compound problems, and never solve them, right? So there was all these things I started recognizing uh, in the mortgage industry as far as it was archaic in a sense, right? Uh, We'll probably go down the path, I'm sure, a little bit of investing and crypto and whatnot. But what I realized each and every single day coming into the office was, holy cow, I'm just being an order taker. I'm listening to realtors all day, to clients all day. Uh, It's not really effective or efficient And I'm sitting in an office with fluorescent lighting and people that have the same problems all day long. This is not truly freedom, right? I I think I'm capable of doing so much more. And what are you comparing that to? How do you know, right? For people that are watching this, I'm curious. Like, you're like, this isn't freedom. I have these fluorescent lights. And I know that when we're looking back, right? we can see that was obviously hell, a living hell, right? I, I, I won't speak for you. I'll speak for myself. Like when I was living that lifestyle, that was what I consider living hell. But in that moment, how did you start to be like, this is not what I want to do, or this is not what's possible, right? How did you know what was actually possible? Yeah, it was, um, I'm super like prideful in making that transition. I talk about it quite a bit because dude, I was doing well. Like I was doing very yeah, well. Yeah, I know. You were really, you, I mean, yeah. you were big time in the mortgage industry. Yeah, fucking that, yeah. big time. Big let me time. tell you. Let yeah. me tell <laughs> I can uh, send an application with my eyes closed now. <laughs> but the reason why I am, you know, prideful of that is because most people make decisions when they're in a lot of pain and uh, it's actually more difficult when things are good, right? So for me, it was uh, doing other painful suffering kind of things like running ultra marathons uh, and, and knowing that like, wow, the human mind and the body is capable of so much more, where else can this apply to in life, right? And I saw it creeping up in the day-to-day of being in the mortgage industry, but also I guess like other tangible stuff was, again, the the self-awareness game, right? Like seeing people coming up 
through Instagram or YouTube, like the Gary V's of the world, the Grant Cardone's, a lot of people that we look up to and inspire uh, to do what we're doing now. I saw this shift coming, right? I, I had the self-awareness and then uh, funny enough, literally where we met, dude, at Social X, that event in Florida, um, I was like, oh, this is reconfirming everything. You, you were just seeing everything that you'd seen on social media. You're seeing it in real life. I experienced it in real life for the first time, right? I went there and I was doing well and I was shaking hands with people that were talking about Facebook ads. I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck that means, <laughs> uh, right? So, but I, I recognized the power of like, oh, building a brand online, getting an attention uh, in and Funny enough, too, I was actually posting ironically on social media about credit, about financial tips, and started running into the same issues that you just recorded about with Jeff. Um, and I was like, man, this is archaic. Yeah. Like the industry I'm in, nothing's changed in the last 50, 60, 80 years, whatever. Um, I need something different. And the income that the mentor of mine at the time was making, I was like, dude, I'm trying to make that a month. Yeah. Right. And so uh, I think that arguably the hardest decision to make is when you're comfortable, right? When things are going well and a lot of viewers watching this, their life is probably pretty fucking comfortable. So the first step is I think getting around um, and owning your story, right? Like owning your past, owning your struggles, owning your successes and uh, and being confident in that. And the number two, obtaining, obtaining skill set, obtaining um, the good, the bad, the ugly, and then you'll be able to make probably conscious decisions moving forward. I want to take a second because you said something there that I have heard over and over and over again, interviewing successful people like yourself, is that you identified, you leveraged, I think everyone rips on social media, right? I rip on it, you rip on it, everybody rips on all the bad things about social media. But Technically speaking, I wouldn't be where I am or even know what I'm doing right now was even possible without social media. And I got hit by an ad. And and actually, if you guys are listening to this, you haven't watched the first episode of the show, I would definitely recommend I go much more in depth on this. But yeah, but don't, don't leave this one for sure. This is going to be good. Yeah, yeah. So um, I get hit by an ad and then I see, I go to a webinar and I see other people and their testimonials on this webinar. And then I go to... I would screenshot their names, then I would literally go on a like a investigator. I would go on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Google. I'd find the names and I'd message those people, and I'd say, "Yo, is this real? Are you really making this kind of fifty, eighty, hundred thousand dollars a month?" And they told me yes, and that's all. That was the confirmation I needed that I could do it myself. And and so it sounds like with you, that was something similar. Obviously, you're not doing it online, but you had seen people making money, and maybe you knew it was possible, maybe you didn't. Maybe there's something that's like itching in your brain. But then you you got it to the event that you and I originally met at in Tampa, which was Social X, and people there were making an unseemly amount of money from their personal brand. And that's when you were like, all right, there's probably more to this and more scalability to this than in the mortgage industry. It was actually the opposite. Cause I was making 40, 50, 60, $70,000 when we first met through mortgage origination, through investing a month, just so we're clear to everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. It was actually the opposite of if I would post that I was at that event, my phone would start blowing up. My DMs would start blowing up like, hey, we need this done and uh, you need to call this this buyer or this borrower and we need you to do X, Y, and Z. So I was like, I mean, why the hell am I doing this, right? And Because they course, would see you at the event and they'd be like, yeah, why are you not working right now? Is that what you're trying to say? Exactly. Oh, wow. And so it's like, what in, what in the hell? Uh, and then also like my final, you know, two, actually two things that made me leave that comfortable situation is again, um, I was in the middle of Times Square, 
with my girlfriend. We were having our first like really cool trip together. We're like recording. It was the holiday time and you're in the middle of Times Square. And I remember like posting on my Instagram and literally like 20 seconds later, someone called me. They're like, oh yeah, I saw you were uh, active on blah, blah. I'm like, oh my God, dude, I oh, can't wow. take this shit anymore. Like super reactive. And, and I was like, this is not efficient and this is not how I want to live my life. And then the second piece was running a 50 mile ultra marathon race. And as my legs were demolished, my left foot uh, was actually partially fractured. I could care less about any of that. The only thing I kept thinking about was I got to make change. I kept thinking about how like when I was done with the race, I was going to fly back home and go right into the same environment of uh, the same nonsense. So I already knew I could make money. Like it was embedded in me from day one. I will always make a ton of money. Uh, I just got to figure out how to enjoy the process, be happy. What's the vehicle you make the money in is what you're trying to find the better idea, right? Exactly. And how can I be in control of that vehicle, not the vehicle being in control of me? Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's incredible. And I want to touch on the ultra marathon really quickly because obviously I don't speak to a whole lot of people who do ultra marathons. We all have hobbies. I fly planes. You run ultra marathons. Yeah. <laughs> so how just for people that are watching this, because I, I just love that you do that. And I like when people kind of push their bodies to the limit. What is an ultra marathon for people that are listening? Uh, how many of you run? What's the average time? What do you do? Like, what's a little bit of the prep? Just to give us someone like a, a two minute overview, because I actually don't know a whole lot of uh, about ultras other than it's a bunch of sick motherfuckers that do it. So, <laughs> yeah. well, for the record, I believe you can you know Google the actual terminology behind it, but I believe it's just anything above a marathon, which is twenty six point two miles. No big deal, you know. So you uh, did twenty six point three miles, and you're like, all right, I'm yeah, this an ultra king ultra <laughs> ultra marathon. Actually, fun fact: I ran a twenty four hour uh, race, hundred miler, before I ever ran a marathon. Oh my gosh! And uh, kind of goes back to one of my huge inspirations is Jesse Ilter, David Goggins, and David Goggins calls it the forty percent rule. When you are absolutely broken you are only 40% there. That's a great book. Um, what is it called? Can't Hurt Me. Can't Hurt Me. That's yeah. a great book as well, yeah. Yeah, and I literally remember looking down at my right foot. It was like triple the size. I remember, uh, and by by the way, this doesn't mean you have to like go run ultra marathons. Yeah, we're not be, advocating people get injured. Yeah, this here. is yeah, not yeah. ultra marathon advice. Please tune in. <laughs> this is not legal tax. Uh, but it, that actually kind of, you know, taught me like, oh my gosh, we're capable of a lot, right? And... Um, and and so, yeah, I, I truly believe you have to go through pain and suffering in the darkness to see the light. I think that that's the cool part about I like I, I, I every really successful entrepreneur I personally know and ones that I attract towards me are really into fitness and their physical aspect of life health. And I think that one of the main reasons, at least for me, even before I was in the entrepreneurship game, I was really into lifting weights, right? It, I read a book. It was. Arnold Schwarzenegger's autobiography, Total Recall, totally changed my life, right? He was talking about how he would see lawyers and doctors at 5 a.m. working out in the morning, even before Arnold got there. And I was like, yeah, what is my excuse? So the reason I bring that up is because I think that workouts, like exercise, ultra marathon, lifting weights, whatever else it is, is one of the first early feedback loops you can get where you put yourself through pain you're not sure that there's something positive on the other side of this pain. It's uncomfortable. Other people might think you're weird because of it. But then if you stay with it long enough, you actually see a result at the end. And I also think that that bleeds over into other areas of your life as well. Like, I don't see a lot of really in shape people that are also like, you know, have terrible relationships, or they are, you know, terrible, at, they don't have really great personal development. I think it bleeds over into other lives. So you talked about how ultra 
kind of shifted that transformation for you as well. So you finished the ultra marathon, you go home and what was like how what was kind of that that catalyst that took you from the mortgage industry into what we're about to start talking about, which is what you're doing now? Yeah, I mean, you said a lot of great things. I think it teaches you that you're capable of much more. And um, I think there's also we were actually talking about it earlier this morning when we were leaving the gym. There is a time, at least most of the time, at least for me, an opportunity for you to create space with yourself. Uh, there's a lot going on. We're young guys. We have a lot of responsibility. We have a lot of tasks and things that we need to do. It's a time with yourself, right? Like if you can do two to three hours a day of, of space separation, it gives you the ability. And I think your brain naturally thinks about those high income producing activities, how you can actually fill up your cup. Um, so I think that's one thing I recognize is not necessarily the confidence that you build of working out and feeling better, but it's also just creating that space for yourself. Um, but yeah, with the ultra marathon, I mean, there's definitely some ego to it, right? Like you get done running and you're like, I'm a fucking savage, right? And that also goes into some of the the cool stuff I believe you believe in. And, and I think all of us do uh, by nature, but it helps you start building that identity. It helps you start building that mentality uh, that you carry with yourself. Like, oh yeah, I can literally run on a torn hamstring, a broken foot. I mean, whoop de do. Bitcoin dropped 50%. Fuck it. You know, <laughs> it is like it is what it is. So I think I think that's why I believe uh in the pain and the suffering because when actual real adversity hits, you're, you're more you're more prepared. It. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So we make the you decide you're gonna you recognize that there is something going on in your life. And I think to give you credit, I think it is pretty impressive to make that recognition when everything is going great. I think most of the people that I interview and even myself, it was like I was moving away from pain and towards uh, something that else that was potentially going to be great for me. For you, you were – there obviously was areas of pain, people calling you while you're on vacation, you're trading your time for your money. What was the the catalyst and what was the event or, or how did you make the transition from like, did, did you just walk in the office when you got back and you're like, I'm fucking out of here. I don't want to do this anymore. And like, what did you do next? Or what were the steps once you made that you, you said, there's no doubt in my mind, I have to change what I'm doing right now. Yeah. I don't know if I've actually ever like truly shared this story. So I'm stoked to share it. Uh, went to the social X event. Right. And I started realizing, okay, there's this new economy coming. Right. I met great guys like you. And I was like, okay, just reaffirmed everything I was thinking of the last few months. Um, I was obviously becoming, uh, you know, closer and closer with Jeff and uh, really liked what he was doing with financial literacy and helping people out, right? And this I, is just, I always want to make sure we have to give content. That's Jeff Seconder from uh, 0%. And we have another episode with him as well. You guys can listen to after this, but. That is not, it is Jeff Crypto Credit Seconder. Jeff Crypto Credit Seconder as well. Yeah, he's also in this room right now. So he told Tyler to say that. But okay, so yeah, you said you also met Jeff and. Yeah, so I started getting into, uh, which is one thing he talks about a lot, which I love is the environment, right? I started naturally getting around uh, other people. Right. I wasn't just in this office around the same people all the time, which again, by the way, for the record, if any of you are watching this, which you probably aren't, uh, great people learned a lot from them. Right. But coming back to one of the first things I said was mentorship and coaching. I joined Wake Up Wealthy, same thing. Right. It was a men's uh, entrepreneurship coaching program focused around, uh, you know, building yourself up mentally, physically, spiritually, business, et cetera. Um, but during that 50 mile race, and going through at this point now, six or seven months of like true development in a different area, right? Cause I had gone through a ton of development and coaching and mentorship 
on this side of the of the real estate and the mortgage side, but I started working on myself and money and business and things over here, right? And so literally ran that 50 mile race. Um, and I was like, all right, I, I got it. Like, that's all I thought about during that run. And that next weekend, it was my brother's bachelor party. I uh, got absolutely hammered. We have a great time. <laughs> it was like fucking 3 a.m. in the morning. I sent a voice audio text to Jeff when I was drunk and I was like, yo, dude, I'm going to uh, quit and I'm going to, you know, join up with you and we'll fucking whatever. Right. I don't even know exactly what I said, but basically along those lines. And it was Labor Day weekend. So the office was closed on Monday. He messaged me back, I think, immediately or the next day or whatever. Like, yeah, dude, hit me up tomorrow. Like, call me or whatever. So we chatted super brief. He's like, yeah, I think that's whatever. Like, that's that's cool. Yeah. I'll hire you. <laughs> and so I literally walked into the office on Tuesday after Labor Day weekend. I met with like multiple clients face to face, was absolutely crushing it. Right. And I took all my personal information off of the work laptop, transferred over to my personal laptop, walked in and sat, um, you know, face to face with literally what I view as like a brother, a mentor, really helped pave the path of, you know, what I know a lot of today was like, hey, I'm done, right? And it was back and forth for like a couple hours of him trying to convince me to stay, weeks after him trying to like convince me to come back and all this stuff. Um, but I also think that what I what I realize now, even just talking through it, because I've never really talked through it, is you're a result of your decisions, but you're also, I believe, a result of the crucial conversations you're willing to have with yourself, with other people. And uh, that was a really difficult conversation. Because yeah. things were good, but I knew it could be better. And kind of almost a little bit out of nowhere for that guy, right? He's like thinking that he's like, oh, this guy's making money. He's yeah. a good friend of mine. And you and and I think there's a good lesson for people that are, are listening to this right now is that sometimes you have to be a little bit selfish, right? And uh, some could argue that, you know, what you did was a little selfish by, you know, coming in and being like, hey, I'm not doing this anymore. This guy, obviously, you're probably a producer for him and yeah. you're making him a lot of money as well. And he's also like mentored you this entire way. And sometimes you got to do what's best for you. Was there like fear in your mind that you were going to disappoint this guy or you like felt like you owed this guy something? Or I, oh. I feel like people could relate to that if you. Yeah. I mean, dude, great point you bring up. That was actually like, because I mean, obviously he was crushing it. So, it, I mean, did the money matter? Yeah, maybe like 0.001% of it. But all of it had to do with like, man, I feel like I'm going to let him down. I'm like his prodigy, right? Or I'm like his his son i'm like his brother right we were family he literally guided me when i dropped out of college to help build the fucking empire that he's built right and again i wasn't like you know the end all be all of his business right but definitely a pivotal piece and um and and there was you know a little fear like with the money aspect but like not really honestly it was more of like literally letting those people down right and letting them down, but I, I'll never forget what I told him. I said, hey, whether it's in a day, a year, 10 years, or even when you're laying on your deathbed, I don't know, but I, I promise you, uh, I'll make you proud and you'll realize why I did what I did. And also, in reality, it wasn't selfish. It would have actually been selfish and a slap to his face if I stayed, if some of you guys are looking to make changes in your life is because I was like 50% in and I was yeah, still crushing out. it. You're, right? you're, already, you're already checked out for all yeah. of it. Yeah. 
if I would have met you sooner and learned about VAs, I would still be originating ones. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. it, I think it's I was just watching a video by the CEO of LinkedIn and he was talking about firing employees and he was like, you know, you're not doing anybody any favors by keeping somebody around if yeah. they're not in the best position possible. And so you kind of saw the other side of it and you're like, look, like you knew that you were half in, half out with this and you knew that yeah. you were going to do this long term. So it was almost disrespectful to him to kind of keep you on board. And a key thing I learned too is now I can recognize what our employees do because oh, most nice. of the time there's i don't know it's probably some dumbass statistic out there that says well two and a half months before they made their decision right but you can obviously tell through through actions and reflecting back on that i always try to learn like oh i was doing this this and this which probably showed other people that i was not as committed as i was the four and a half years prior so i tried to uh sit back on the sideline and watch people in the company to go that person's fully bought in. That person's going to be gone, whether we have to fire them or whether they fire themselves. Uh, because as you know, the most valuable thing in business is people, right? It's like uh, on the real estate side, the most uh, costly thing is tenants coming in and out of your property. The most costly thing in business most of the time are people getting hired and fired, yep. right? So those are things I try to recognize and implement and, and reflect back on is, who's actually bought in at all times and who's not and, and being aware of that. So, so I want to kind of shift gears here because I like whenever I have people who are just absolute experts in a specific industry, I want to make sure we give value to the audience because maybe they don't have access to some of this information. And so obviously you went in real estate from mortgages, writing mortgages and helping real estate agents, helping clients get funding for their homes. So now running a real estate fund or you have eight figures, multiple eight figures in your portfolio. You've helped hundreds of people invest. How has kind of your responsibilities changed from like the person that was helping someone get funded to what you do now? Like, what well, can you explain a little bit to the people that are listening to this and maybe they don't know, you know, what exactly it is that you do? What is it that you do? How, how are, how is your responsibilities and how has your role changed from serving people by getting them funding to serving people by getting them actual properties now? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. For anyone that's looking to get started or scale a real estate portfolio, I think there's a few key things um, to reiterate. Number one, 95% of people don't own their own uh, rental properties, right? So step number one, the most difficult thing to do in real estate investing is the first deal. That's simple because 95% of you watching this video wanting to get started probably won't. That being said, the second piece is you can actively do it or you can passively do it. So if you're running a very successful business like you are, right, you should probably have some real estate exposure at some point, depending on where you're at, where your values are, what your investment strategy is, but educating yourself, right? Obtaining, like I said, the step, you know, step two, right? Obtaining the skill set and the knowledge to go, oh, I can passively invest and get great returns or I can passively invest to diversify my portfolio or I can passively invest to get great returns, diversify my portfolio and also get equity and tax advantages in somebody else's deal, right? So I think that's the first starting point. And then, uh, and then yeah, the other thing is uh, limited beliefs, right? It's limited beliefs as to why somebody wouldn't actively or passively do it is because they don't have any time and they don't have capital, Right. So when we, uh, you know, built out our consulting with 0%, right, we're helping people get access to capital, which in retrospect is getting access to more of their time. If they go get $50,000 of funding with us, 
I always try to remind them on, hey, how long would you have worked in your marketing company or doing XYZ in your nine to five to earn that 50K? Cool. We just immediately bought you 12 months of your time or X amount of months of your time, right? So those are the two reasons why at least I recognize people never get started is um, is the limited belief behind I don't have any time, I don't have any capital, right? So now what we're doing, um, was that a sigh of like, dude? No, 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 continue. Okay. Finish your thought. Yeah, you're good to go. <laughs> so th- those are the things that are like, the viewers here and the listeners here need to, I think, grasp first, right? If they're in those buckets or or they are in a spot where they have a couple of properties or they have more properties than me and they're like, how do I scale, right? How do I actually scale? Well, I think number one is uh, attention, right? Where attention goes, money flows, right? And um, there's a lot of things you can do. You can build out a website, funnels, social media, um, but you have to understand that the next pivotal piece is optimization, right? How do I leverage other people's time, other people's money, raise private money, set up a hedge fund, or do uh, you know JV partnerships and optimize returns, right? How do I pivot in different asset classes of real estate? Because I view money and investments in any asset class of when it's going to correct or crash, not if. So if you can try to do your best of recognizing trends, looking at data and uh, doing your best to remove ego so you can make actual changes uh, of, of being able to optimize and scale the returns, right? So I, I think that, so what you just said, I think is incredibly helpful. And that's especially helpful for people that are looking to get into a real estate portfolio. Maybe they're looking to actively do it. I would make an argument that based on the brand that I have and even who I am personally, that most of the people here that are maybe listening to this, they have a little bit of extra capital, but they don't want to become a real estate investor. They, they don't want to actively do it. Like myself, right? Yeah. I want to get into real estate. I, I would say I know very little about real estate because I keep my focus on things that I'm very good at. One of the reasons why you know I invested with you guys a while ago. But the point is, is that if you're someone's listening to this right now, they have a few extra 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, 200, 300,000 dollars worth of funds. Like, why should someone put it into real estate if they should do it? And like, what should they be looking at as far as investing? Because you've obviously seen, and we don't have to go in the nitty gritty of the deals, but like, is it the, should they look for somebody to help uh, manage the funds and invest it for them? Should they look at one partner? Should they look at a syndication? Should they instead just, you're saying they can even do the whole deal by themselves and, and manage it passively? Like, what would you say to someone who is a business owner here, which is, you know, or someone trying to get in business, which is typically my audience, who wants to invest in real estate, but doesn't want to deal with all the bullshit and out of real estate yeah i mean first and foremost that is the pro and con of real estate is because since the history of time of real estate it is uh one of the safer assets right because there's a real tangible asset if you know you put your money in the stock market let's say and those 10 companies crash then you lost all your money versus if the market tanks in real estate then hypothetically you have actual collateral aka the property you can get some of your money back right but that is also a con right you know, you know this again more than anyone else. If there is complexity, then there is a decision fatigue of like, do I do short-term rentals? Do I buy a fix and flip? Do I just buy single family? Do I buy a commercial property? Do I uh, partner with somebody? So that is why I try to do my best of simplification of, can you actively do this? And if you go, well, no, probably not. Okay, great. You're probably going to be in the the passive bucket, right? And then from the passive bucket. That is just doing a little bit more uh, research, right? And taking calculated risks to go, well, I don't know Tyler Bossetti, but 
my buddy here, John Smith, has been buying properties in my market for the last 10 years, and he seems like he knows what he's doing. Great. Call him up, reach out, and say, hey, are you taking on investors' money? I want to passively invest with you and get a percent return, or I want equity in your what, deals. So what are you looking at in those things? Are you looking for a percent return, right? Like, are you? what is the percentage return that you're looking for? How do you make sure you don't get skinned alive whenever you're calling somebody up and you're saying like, hey, I want to invest in real estate property? Because I even had, even when I was in San Diego about a year and a half ago, I was looking at having someone else invest, but I had nothing to compare it to, right? I had no yeah. idea what was, uh, you know, what was good and what was bad as far as deals were concerned. Yeah, so... Um, you know, again, first and foremost, it's going to be hypothetically your risk versus reward tolerance, right? So number one, I believe that you should, if you are handing somebody money, whether it is, you know, us or it is, you know, anyone in the real estate industry, number one, how are you protected, right? Through a contract, a promissory note, an affidavit, promissory note. Again, this is not legal or any type of, you know, advice. Um, but I think number one is absolutely having an attorney before you actually deploy your capital. How am I protected? And that is another major reason why I believe real estate is the best short and long-term asset over time is the ability of measuring that risk versus reward. So number one, uh, doing your research on that, that person and that company. So, okay, how am I protected? Do I believe in the team? Number three, do I believe in their business plan of what asset class they're actually deploying my money into, whether that is fix and flip properties, whether that is uh, multifamily you know, type properties. And hypothetically, they're, hypothetically, they're answering that stuff for you before you're even uh, asking those questions in a sense, right? Uh, and then, you know, really last but not least is what are my returns, right? What are my returns? Like, I think that if you're, I personally believe that uh, you're doing yourself a disservice as an investor. And maybe this is just because I've studied economics and I've studied uh, other things. Uh, and I believe in other things like cryptocurrency, right? I think if you're not getting double digit returns, you have uh, you know some type of security with a contract or collateral on the property, aka if they don't pay you back, you can foreclose on them and take their property, right? And I think that if you don't have some type of option in the short term or in the long term, of building a relationship with them and getting equity in deals and ultimately potentially tax advantages, then it may not be a good fit for you. If you have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50K, to be quite frank, if you're not investing probably like 50K and you're running a business or doing other things, you probably shouldn't invest in real estate. You should probably go do step number two outside of getting skill set, outside of uh, going to masterminds and, and whatnot. You should probably do this weird thing called make more fucking money make more income. A great problem to have is to pay taxes. A greater problem to have is to make a lot of money and then eventually get it into real estate over time and not pay taxes. So, so. you're saying double digit returns, which I, I love that because also something that we talked about when we were out there as well was the opportunity cost of of putting your money somewhere that's earning you, you know, 5% instead of 10% or 10% instead of 20%. So, you know, people that are listening to this right now, and I want to shift gears and talk about the business side in a second, but I think this is useful. And I actually, I'm going to bend your ear because I want to know myself, right? Is there, obviously everything's going to vary, right? But like, what is your cash on cash return? If you put the, when you're looking to somebody, because I think that is a pretty cool idea. This isn't financial advice, but let's say that, you know, you do find somebody you trust, or you're talking to somebody you're like, Hey, let's start getting into some real estate deals yeah. together. You're protected. You you talk to a lawyer, you can get collateral on the house in case it forecloses. And that guy's like, yo, I'm going to do all the heavy lifting. You put up the capital. What is the returns? Like, yeah. how does that, how does that, what does that structure look like? So real estate's broken down into a couple buckets. Number one, how do you find deals? Number 
Number two, how do you fund deals? Number three, how do you manage deals? And then last but not least, what's your exit strategy? What is your disposition on this deal? And hypothetically, there are multiple exits out. It's not just selling the property, right? Hypothetically, depending on your actual overall quote unquote business plan. So number one, when it comes to finding a deal, how do you actually understand this is a deal, right? I try to purchase properties uh, and really follow what is called my max allowable offer formula of purchasing those properties at 65 to 75% of the after repair value, right? So I am not a rocket scientist here. So let's say I think the property is going to be a mansion for $300,000 in Columbus because you can find mansions for $300,000. I would say, hey, I'm not going to pay more. Uh, I think the property, because I can pull up comparable type properties. There's 17 other three-bedroom, two-bath, 2,000-square-foot properties in this area or within a mile radius that had sold in the last six months for 300K, right? I take 300K, multiply it by 0.75, but one of my personal preferences is adding value, appreciating value in the property, aka remodeling or renovating the property, and here's why. Uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. And let's say that, hey, this is a deal um, that I want to consider. I think it's going to be worth 300000 whether I refinance or whether I sell. I'm going to take that 300000 multiply it by 0.75. And based on the walkthrough of when I went into contract, I brought my contractor with me, or you brought your passive investor with you. You say, hey, I think it's going to be $50,000 of renovations. We need to update the two bathrooms, the kitchen, and fix the roof and do a little bit of landscaping. That's going to be fifty grand. Hypothetically, I would not pay more than $175,000 for that property, right? And for our business strategy, I'll get into as to why we pay out ridiculous returns in a moment. But what you can do is you buy the property for 175 k you put $50,000 of work into it. Now it's worth 300000 You can make on that deal seventy-five grand, right? Or you can go back to the bank where you buy it, you renovate it, you put a tenant in there, whether it's a short-term rental or a long-term rental, and the bank will give you 75% of 300K. The refinance. On the refinance. So that's what people refer to as the Burr strategy, um, which is a strategy that we use each and every single day where you're getting all your money back. Now you're walking away with 75 grand of equity, and now that property is cash flowing, right? And then you can get tax advantages on that property as well. Right. So hypothetically, you want to get, you know, 65 to 75% purchase of the ARV because anything above that is profit, right? Tax free because you can't tax, uh, you can't tax debt. You're refinancing with the bank. So if you close and the bank says, hey, um, you know, we're going to give you 75% of 300K, right? Well, I bought the property at 65% LTV. There's 10% profit on that deal, right? But that 10% that you get from the bank at closing is tax-free money, right? Because there's an interest rate attached, so there's a mortgage attached to it. So a few things to digest there is I decided to double and then at one point triple our returns because a few things. Number one, I foresaw based on indicators I look at employment, population, and income growth in the market that we're in, Central Ohio, was set to accelerate, Right. And so I was like, hey, I'm willing to pay double the returns. Also, we printed off when COVID hit 40% of our money supply. And history shows when that happens, real estate appreciates in value. Sure enough, it appreciated over 30%, right? And 
a result of that is inflation. So I was like, hey, look, I'm willing to pay a premium to get access to other people's money, which, oh, by the way, our consulting members that paid us for coaching and consulting so we can increase our lifetime value with them and actually help them reach financial independence yep. and also acquire assets for our company. Oh, by the way, even if I go back to the bank and refinance and I make zero dollars, zero dollars, or there's actually been some deals where I brought money to the table because there's this saying called, and again, consult with your own tax counsel, watch other YouTube videos, or I don't know, pick a out of your belly button if you want. There's a thing called um, depreciation, specifically a cost segregation study where you can write off 20, to, this is rule of thumb, 20 to 30% of the value of that property minus the cost of the land. So if you know that, okay, this is what I'm coming in at. Properties in central Ohio, when I started doing the research, holy fuck, every 30 days, properties are almost appreciating that double digit return. Wow. And so I was educating the investor on that, which made him feel way more comfortable to say, hey, if you have $100,000 right now, in 12 months, it's going to be worth realistically like, you know, 85 to 90K, probably best case scenario. And then for us, it was even if I bring 5% to the closing table and I pay out our investors, in that tax year, I have a 20 to 30% write-off on my taxes. In reality, I have a, you know, five to 10, realistically 10 to 15 or 20% profit on that deal, walking away with the equity. And last but not least, last but not least is aligning with your long-term vision. I want to scale into these larger deals where now I don't have to own hundred percent of the property, right? The analogy I like to use is I would rather own a quarter of a watermelon versus hundred percent of a grape. So now I can build the balance sheets up and to scale into larger deals, right? And we have less equity, but we're talking about we're raising money on 20, 30, 40, 50, $80 million deals. It's literally impossible to do those deals unless you have the credit, income, assets, net worth, liquidity, and experience with the bank. Coming back to my banking experience, I know these are some things they look at. So I was like, I'm willing to just literally put in the sweat equity, put my head down, and we'll blink in a couple of years. And here we are now, and we can actually start making fucking moves. And I can actually uh, you know, get guac at Chipotle now. <laughs> I can I can relate to the guac at Chipotle thing that reminds me of my college. That was an incredible kind of synopsis of of your investment strategy and and how you kind of took advantage of your information and knowledge from back when you were doing mortgages to where you guys are now investing in these properties. I have a question for you though, right? I I invest most of my money in stocks and cryptocurrency for two main reasons. Number one is convenience, right? I can click two buttons on my screen and it's invested. Number two is liquidity. So I've I've had this argument with real estate investors, not an argument, I'll say conversation, real estate investors, uh, you know, st stock traders, cryptocurrency experts, whatever else it is. But do you think that you, it is a liquid asset if you buy a home? Like what if you actually needed that capital? Would you consider it something liquid? No, real estate's an illiquid asset. But I prefer illiquid assets. Again, it comes down to people's goals. It comes down to people's values. And um and for you, yeah, I mean, dude, you're running a business, you're running ads, liquidity is probably super key, right? I'm, I know we've had conversations. I remember one specifically, it actually helped me out. It helped me out realize like, holy shit, I'm actually looking out for potential investors' best interest. I remember us having a conversation in San Diego and I'm like, dude, I really want to take your money, right? But I just know and you know that you could two to three X that in 30 days. So I'm going to build that rapport and that trust. 
and go get results to then you hand me over, you know, five to 20 times that amount in the future where we both can get what we need out of that potential relationship or we don't, right? Or it is what it is. But wouldn't so wouldn't someone argue that like if so this is just me playing devil's advocate here, right? Because I heard this argument and I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. You know, I live in Miami. I moved into a place here. We had to put like put like ten offers in on places, and it was like they'd be gone the next day. Right? Yeah, the market's insane right now, and obviously the markets are not always going to be insane. But you need the capital in real estate. Can't you put a home up and sell it like within a day or two and and get the access to that that capital pretty quickly? Here's where um, coming back down to the mortgage industry experience, it's archaic, right? And I think it's going to be absolutely revolutionized with tokenization and blockchain technology. But there are so, and there's pros and cons to this. There's so many nuances when it comes to listing the property. You have to come get professional photographers. You have to have likely an agent represent you. Yeah, sure, you can go take photos on your iPhone and you can do for sale by owner. But there is a process to close on that property. If someone needs to uh, buy the property from you and get a loan, what type of loan are they using? Are they going to send an inspector out there? Is that going to kill the deal because the plumbing is messed up and they don't want to buy the deal and fix it themselves? Is the appraiser, the one that's valuing the property, going to not uh, approve this loan to go through because they're using this specific loan and that's going to, again, kill the deal? So there's all and then then we have to talk about the title companies the title companies in particular that are basically what blockchain is interrupting it is the open quote unquote accounting on ownership rights right literally 72 hours ago i was on the phone with my lawyer cuz i bought a single family home and a duplex on the same parcel right so what we're doing is we're doing what's called a lot split we're splitting off the property if not it's considered a commercial deal I bought it in cash, but I know I will potentially screw ourselves over if I don't lot split it because it's a commercial property. Not many people qualify for commercial property. And so by doing that, um, that's going to allow us to have multiple exits. If I if I want to sell the single family and keep the duplex, I can. If I want to sell the duplex, I can. If I want to refinance, I won't run into any type of weird loan issues. But the point that I'm, I'm bringing uh, to this is there was a litigation with the previous seller that was never caught from the title company. And they had 30 fucking days wow. to go through that litigation. Long story short, it's uh, two properties that need completely renovated. There was a ton of trash, a bunch of environmental issues, but that gets passed on through the ownership rights. Hypothetically, blockchain tokenization, all that nonsense, you know, crypto stuff, we'll be able to catch that. It'll be able to catch that oh, the previous seller has this pending court case, but that just got transferred over to my entity. My lawyers had to submit over paperwork to say, uh, hell no, here's proof wow. and get us out of that. So that is why I personally believe it's not it's not uh, liquid. It's illiquid because there's a lot of third parties involved. You, an individual or an entity, can click a button, money's into your bank account um, in 72 hours. I believe that's liquid. Where there's not somebody preventing you from... Uh, having that cash. Well, there's no third party. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that I, I, That's fair. I, I'm happy you kind of explained it that way. And I even, it's so funny to bring up that title uh, story there. I was with Jack and uh, my CFI when I bought the plane. We were just talking about the plane that I just bought. I went to San Diego and uh, I flew in Thursday night. We got in at like midnight. I go to the airport 6 a.m. tomorrow, the next day to take the plane. We're supposed to leave by 12 to make the 18-hour flight back home to Miami. And the title company had two months to get all the paperwork in yeah. order and they had done none of it. And they're on, they're on central time zone. I'm in Pacific. 
all both of our brokers are talking to each other we're talking to them everyone's on the title company and the title company drops the ball it's a friday yeah and they go uh yeah we can't do it until monday we can't release the funds from escrow yeah so we can't do it until monday yeah and i had flown out jack i've flown out my my uh flight instructor i'm there you know i value my time and that I was what, uh, that's what i was like i i cannot believe how ass backwards all of yeah. this thing was that i just did it. and actually what happened was I ended up literally making a handshake deal with the owner of the plane. And I said, I'm going to wire you the cost of this plane right now. And I'm going to show you just so I can leave today. Yeah. And then whenever escrow hits, you'll just send the money back. So actually totally without a third party being involved, yep. him and I, I don't know why we paid fucking brokers 6%. And like, we yeah. did, literally, we just handshake deal. I, I sent him an email. He responded back. He was going to give me the money as soon as he got it. And I flew out there in a few hours. So I think that's, uh, you nailed it on the head with the third party thing. And I think that's a fair uh, a fair uh, a fair comment. So a few people that are watching this, they uh, maybe run a business. They're thinking about doing real estate investing. I like. I just want to break down what you had said before we wrap this up here. Number one, you know, identify that real estate based on your risk reward profile is something that you want to do. Number two, identify that do you have enough capital for it to actually make sense. So you know, I think that a lot of the people that I've interviewed and even yourself, you know, you're saying fifty thousand is not the hard number, and we're not financial advisors or anything here, but you know. There's all of us have invested money into ourselves and had an astronomical return, ten thousand percent, a hundred thousand percent over a very short period of time. Yeah. So if you still have that ability to grow like that, then it might make sense for you to invest back in yourself. But at some point, you could have you sitting on a little bit of cash. Maybe cryptocurrency is too volatile. Maybe stocks you don't trust, and so real estate's a fair option. But if you want to be a little bit passive then you're saying, hey, either reach out to maybe someone like you or somebody else that you know that's doing real estate investing and you're looking at trying to structure a deal with them where, number one, you're protected, right? So you're not worrying about, hey, if this gets foreclosed, then I can have collateral on it and I can uh, sell it. Number two, you're looking at, or is this a good deal in the sense of is the average order, or I said almost average order value, but average, what is it? ARV, average retail? After repair value. After repair value is like 75% uh, of what would happen after you repaired it at the retail price so that yep. you can then pull out the uh, the cash and then be able to invest that strategy again. And, and the final thing, and this is what somebody else would be doing for you after you made sure they're a good fit, is that you're looking for after all that is said and done, that, that should be like a double digit return on yeah. the cash that you invest inside of it. Is that kind of a fair shake? Was did I mess any of that up just for people that are listening? No, it, it was it was very solid. And um, honestly, I feel like sometimes when I say what I'm about to say, I'm like, man, I'm really kind of kicking myself in the butt because I truly believe whether it is the last year of your life or whether it is the first year of your investment career, at some point, point you have to be in real estate you have to be i just i truly believe in that and i can go on another hour rant with data and statistics as to why but another reason why i decided to pay out a even higher return and where cryptocurrency comes in and interrupts this whole space dude people can just take that same 10 20 30 40 50 doesn't matter and go buy a stable coin like usdc transfer it to one of these uh, exchanges and earn damn near double digit returns and just holding that in quote unquote cash. So now the everyday, in my opinion, if people start becoming aware of this as they are each and every single day with adoption, that is where I think most real estate investors are going to get potentially screwed because they're going to go, well, Tyler, why would I give you 25 K if you're giving me a 12% return? Right. And uh, yeah, I have collateral and whatever, but 
I'm also buying USDC and it's sitting in this account earning me, I don't know, eight to 10%. Or and whatever. one of them's massively liquid and the other one. And I can like click a button and it's in my account. You're like, I'm waiting for you to hopefully pay me back. And I'm hoping to make sure that Tyler doesn't die. And if he does, he has things set up properly with his business partner that it, you know, moves forward or have, he has, um, life insurance in place. He has business insurance in place. Oh, the contractors that he use are licensed, bonded, insured, workers comp. He has the right hazard insurance on his property, umbrella policy if something happens. So there's a lot. And when I, and again, when I started becoming aware of this, I used it to my advantage to educate the person I was talking to. So then they go, holy fuck, printed off money supply, properties appreciating double digit returns. Why is he paying out double? Because I, you know what you can do? You could also just go put this in a USDC account and earn the same and have access to it in liquidity versus uh, handing it to another investor in your market. That's why I'm paying you double because I want the upside of owning the property, the equity, building my balance sheet up and uh, putting it in the sweat equity and getting the tax advantages. So I'm willing to pay you double. And I think the big part of that, we won't go down that rabbit hole, is the tax advantages, right? Yeah. At, at this point, I have enough vehicles that I could put money into and make money back. The main reason I wanted to get into real estate was for that tax advantage. Which is exactly why you have to at some point. A great problem to have is to pay taxes. A greater problem to have is to not pay taxes. So we won't even have that conversation until you're sick and tired of paying taxes. And that is where I think it eventually happens when people go, all right, look, I have fucking hundreds of thousands. I have millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars. I've already exhausted these other lucrative tax strategies. The only way I can actually fully maximize this is through real estate. Especially if you're deploying really large funds, right? Like that's when you can really put, there's not a lot of assets that you can have tax advantage of that you could put like dump $10 million into other than real estate, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah, sure. There's other things, but like, oh, cool. Tyler's going to go do an $80 million syndication deal. He's raising, you know, 25% of that. Um, you know, that's going to be what, around like 20 million. And he's looking for LP investors, or maybe you come on as a general partner, right? Whatever it is. And, you know, hey, here's 10 million, Tyler. Great. Because you did that and I'm running the show, I'm going to get my 30% or whatever, you know, rule of thumb on a syndication is 70-30 split. 70% goes out to the LP limited partner investors. 30% goes to the ones, aka people like me, that's actually running the show, right? But the whole point I'm making is, oh, cool. You literally funded 80% of what we needed. I will give you 60% of this deal and I'll go raise the extra one to two million um, and give out the, the equity accordingly, right? So that is how you can get in and get returns, you start getting rent checks, you start getting K1 partnership statements, uh, you start getting, uh, and you have equity in the deal, right? So you have the upside of appreciation and that's the beauty of real estate as well is you can be on both fronts, right? You can use other people's money or you can use other people's experience to gain access to assets. Wow, yeah, I love that. I think that if you're listening and watching this, you know, whether you're starting a business, not starting a business, I think the big, big part of that was making sure that in the very beginning, you're investing, you understand your risk reward profile, and then you are investing in yourself probably first, not financial advice, but I think we've all done that really well. And then from there, you're eventually going to be spinning off so much cash that like you got to pay taxes and it just doesn't even make sense to, you can't just throw it. I can't put a million dollars into myself tomorrow, right? There's just no way other than maybe buying a few Richard Millies that I could possibly do it. But, um, dude, you could probably do like one, at least a half a mil of like Richard Millies. Just some, one Richard Millie. Yeah. Some stem cells. That's true. Yeah. Mr. Tyler Brissetti, this was an incredible interview, my, my man. man. Thank you so much for hopping on today. I really do appreciate it. I 
always learn so much when I'm talking to you because I'll be honest with you, I am pretty ignorant when it comes to real estate. Just I've chosen to be that way just because like I said, I think we all have you know, limited energy that we're able to deploy every single day. And, you know, I've been putting it into different things, but I always love, I think it's like you said, at some point, if you are building real wealth, it is going to be important that you understand a little bit more because one of the greatest, you know, wealth transfers in history is going to be through some form of real estate, especially as far as wealth protection and tax savings is concerned. For people that are watching this and Maybe they think the story about the, you know, ultra and, you know, how you switched into the fund that you're running right now, or maybe they're interested a little bit more in the actual real estate investing side of things. What's the best way someone can get in contact with you and learn a little bit more and, and talk to you some? Yeah, sounds like you're learning, man. Drop some bombs there. I love it. Uh, yeah, so I have an OnlyFans account, so go check it out. Uh, no, very active on you know social media, Instagram. I uh, have a YouTube channel, so like, comment, and subscribe if you're watching this video. Uh, and then we have our company, 0%, uh, 0%.com, where we offer uh, a whole different you know list of different consulting services. But yeah, definitely hit me up on Instagram. Send me a DM. I'll swipe you to general and someone else will talk to you. Just kidding. <laughs> hit me up. Looking forward to chatting. I appreciate you guys uh, paying attention this episode. Hopefully, you guys got a lot of value out of it. If you did, please be sure to smash the like button, hit subscribe. Also, leave a review uh, if you are on one of the podcast channels. And I'll see you guys in the next episode.